I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Proxosomal disorders are a group of rare and heterogeneous metabolic diseases. Earlier this year, the National Organization of Rare Disorders selected the Global Foundation for Paroxysomal Disorders as one of 20 rare disease groups to undertake a natural history study with support from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. We spoke to Melissa Bryce Gamble, president and co-founder of the Global Foundation for Paroxysomal Disorders, about the natural history study, why such studies are critical for expanding the understanding of a rare disease, how they help inform the development of therapies. Melissa, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. I'm happy to be here. We're going to talk about natural history clinical trials, what they are, why they matter, and how patients through them can help advance drug development. Let's begin with your work at the Global Foundation of Paroxysomal Disorders. Paroxysomal disorders, as the name implies, are actually a a group of related disorders. What are they? How common are they? And how do they manifest themselves? Right. So uh, paroxysomal biogenesis disorders are a group of rare diseases that um, affect the paroxysomes, which are an organelle that we have in all of our cells, much like the nucleus or the mitochondria. Um, Paroxysomes impact everything within the cell. Um, And when the patient has absent or non-functioning paroxysomes, that that causes some significant issues. So the the spectrum, uh, we refer to it as paroxysome biogenesis disorders, Zellweger spectrum disorders. Uh, they are a multi-system uh, disorder that impacts all areas of the body for our patients. Um, it affects hearing, vision, neurological function, uh, really every system in the body is affected by this, um, by paroxysome biogenesis. Um, oftentimes, our patients have issues with osteoporosis, with liver function. Um, it's, it's a very widespread uh, issue throughout the body. So um, because of that, it requires a, a multidisciplinary um, approach to treatment and system management. So generally speaking, our patients see a number of doctors. They see a neurologist, a geneticist, um, an audiologist, and ear, nose, and throat specialist. Um, and ophthalmologists, oftentimes a neuro-ophthalmologist or a retinal specialist. Um, and so it's the care and for these patients is really symptomatic um, and uh, multi, multi-system. multi So it requires a lot of collaboration amongst different doctors uh, and specialists. This is a, a very heterogeneous set of disorders. What is the prognosis, and and does it vary greatly from patient to patient? The prognosis varies greatly from patient to patient. Um, Our rate of incidence for paroxysomal biogenesis disorders in the Zelliger spectrum is about 1 in 50,000 live births, 
So um, with that, about half of those patients are considered uh, to have the most severe phenotype or the most severe presentation of uh, peroxisome biogenesis disorder. And generally speaking, those patients pass away um, at a young age, um, you know, around the age of one or around 18 months or so. The other half of the patients that surpass that, um, that uh, early uh, life expectancy, um, or the other half of the patients that are not on the severe um, phenotype or the severe end of the spectrum generally have varying lifespans. Um, they can range from five to ten years old to some living into the twenties into their twenties and thirties. It, it really is a spectrum, and we often say that every child sort of makes their own path with this disorder. There's there's no there's no set out course for each child. And other than treating individual symptoms, are there therapies available today? At this point, um, treatment for peroxisomal biogenesis disorders in the Zelliger spectrum is really symptomatic. So we treat um, the hearing loss as one issue. We um, strongly urge our, our parents of, of our patients to um, include hearing technology. So hearing aids or cochlear implants are uh, used with this group of, of patients. Um, we encourage our families to have vision exams so that their child can um, perhaps have lenses if there's a refractive error to correct. Um, we we also encourage regular monitoring of blood um, through regular lab draws every three to six months. And so those those lab draws would be looking for um, issues with liver function. Um, or adrenal insufficiency, which is often a, a very huge part of the management of this disorder. So some of those things are um, manageable with pharma, pharmaceutical um, drugs, but really there is no overarching um, cure or treatment. Treatment is all symptomatic at this point. We're, we're hoping to, to find more broad treatments for this disorder. Your organization is involved in a natural history clinical trial. For listeners who may not be familiar with a natural history clinical trial, what is it? Natural history studies um, can be either retrospective or um, uh, prospective. And generally speaking, a retrospective natural history study gathers data um, that has, has already happened. So we would be seeking um, doctor's notes from clinic visits, therapy notes from physical therapy or occupational therapy or speech therapy providers, things of that nature. Um, a prospective natural history study would be looking at what what do we want to gather in the future um, and, and organizing a method for, for gathering that information and then, then actually gathering it from the patient or the physician or provider. So currently, the Global Foundation for Proxisomal Disorders has um, three natural history studies that we have ongoing at this time. Um, the first natural history study is uh, being conducted at McGill University in Montreal 
under the direction of Dr. Nancy Braverman. Um, her clinical coordinator, uh, Jesse Kalaga Yaskovitz, has been doing this retrospective medical chart review. So looking at what, what has already happened. And this has been a huge project, a huge undertaking for her. Um, and so just gathering all that information together, um, looking at what surgeries have our patients had, what medications are they generally on, what sorts of assistive technology do they use? Do they use medical equipment? Um, if so, what is that? And gathering that information together. And then a prospective uh, natural history study will be beginning soon um, through the National Organization for Rare Diseases. Um, and then a, another prospective study uh, will is also ongoing with the STAIR consortium, which is the sterile and isoprenoid research initiative. Um, and so we're we're looking at um, getting some feedback from patients about quality of life, um, quality of life for caregivers, um, things of that nature through these three, through these two um, prospective studies. Uh, as we mentioned, this is a heterogeneous disease. How well understood is the range of manifestations and progress of the disease? And what kind of information do you hope to discover? Right. So you're, you're right. It is a heterogeneous set of disorders. And um, we are really looking to characterize the disorder even further. Um, not much has been known about proxosomal biogenesis disorders. We're learning things as we go along through these three studies um, and really hopeful that we can find something that is perhaps a symptom that we haven't, haven't even pinpointed yet, something through uh, the information that our, our caregivers of these patients provide us that is maybe a medical um, condition, a symptom that could be treated in some way. So we're looking for that. We're um, really looking for quality of life data, um, hoping to um, just really pinpoint what is, what is it about these disorders that um, and how do they impact families overall? That's that's a really unmet medical need um, in our community and within the rare disease community on the whole. Such studies can play an important role in designing clinical trials and, and developing therapies. How do researchers and drug developers use such information? That's a great question. So if we don't know what the problems are with our patient, if we patients, if we don't know um, what issues they're facing on a daily basis, if we don't have this um, retrospective data, we can't really start doing drug development. Um, so that's that's hugely important to uh, to pharmaceutical companies, to biotech companies that may be looking at our patient group and um, seeing seeing what they can do to help us. This type of information could be useful to many different types of researchers working in the area, as well as drug developers. Are there conditions on who has access to the data, and, and how important is that for a disease advocacy group to think about before getting involved in a natural history study? Absolutely. Um, we, the Global Foundation for Proxosomal Disorders, owns the data 
from the NORD Natural History Study. Um, and we uh, are very careful with how we disseminate that. We um, are very cognizant of HIPAA regulations, uh, patient protected health information for our patients. Um, so we want to really make sure that that we're acting in the best interest of our patient population. Do, do you find patients are concerned about privacy or are they more concerned about getting the information to as many researchers that can, can eventually help people with the disease? I think our patients are um, most, most interested in helping move research along. Um, they really want to see what we can do to help their children. We have a really engaged patient community. They're um, a wonderful group of people. We have about 350 patients um, in our database, um, which come from 30 countries around the world. And they've been extremely interested in helping move this research forward and um, and telling the doctors what's really going on um, at home with, with their child. And I think that's, that's a huge thing for our researchers to have access to these patients and to their caregivers um, so that we can continue to, to embrace and um, and really learn more about the, the set of diseases. How should rare disease patients think about natural history studies and, and why should they consider participating in one if available? Patients that have a rare disease um, often feel lonely and isolated. I, I know I did as, as a mother of a child with a rare disorder. And the best thing that um, caregivers can do is, is reach out and find these find these natural history studies if they're out there for their for their rare disease. I think it it opens up the world. It it you know may connect you with a patient advocacy group that you may not be previously connected with. Uh, it can connect you with researchers that that know something about your child's disorder. So that's a really huge benefit to these natural history studies. It's really just getting hooked in with the patient community and with the physicians and scientists that, that are the experts. Are there questions or concern a patient should have before participating in one? Yeah, as a patient or a caregiver of a patient with a rare disorder, um, you want to make sure that um, you're signing consent forms, that you understand the consent forms uh, for these studies, um, and, and that everything um, that that is being presented is on the up and up. Um, these, these researchers have to go through IRB approval, institutional review board approval, so you should be able to see some documentation from that prior to enrolling in a study of this nature. For other rare diseases where no natural history exists, what advice can you offer for organizations hoping to create I think there are a lot of tools out there um, for organizations that may want to uh, engage in natural history studies. Um, there's a there's a few that are ongoing with the help of the FDA um, through the National Organization for Rare Diseases. Um, I encourage organizations to look there. Um, the NIH uh, website, clinicaltrials.gov, 
um, has a lot of information out um, about various natural history studies and other clinical trials that may be ongoing that patient advocacy groups or organizations may not be aware of. So I'd, I'd encourage organizations to look online and do some searching and, and see what they can find. And um, the GFPD is happy to uh, help in any way or encourage other organizations to, um, to get on board in any way we can. Melissa Bryce Gamble, president and co-founder of the Global Foundation for Paroxysomal Disorders. Melissa, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. If you'd like to learn more about natural history studies and hear from Melissa Bryce Gamble, join Global Genes for its annual Rare Patient Advocacy Summit in Huntington Beach, California, starting September 22nd. For more information, go to globalgenes.org and select Patient Advocacy Summit under the Events tab. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The BioReport, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.